Ladies and gentlemen, get ready to embark on a roller coaster of curiosity and conversation. This is 5,000 Hours. I'm your host, Brandi Morris. On this podcast, curiosity is our fuel and conversation is our compass to guide us through the mysteries that make our world so wonderfully complex. We explore, laugh, and learn together. We promise you the pursuit of understanding has never sounded this fun. Because, my friends, this is where curiosity meets conversation. Welcome to 5,000 Hours. We are going with our curiosity today into the world of early childhood education with Samantha Boyle. Hi, Sam. How's it going? Hi, it's going great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. We are excited to have you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure. Um, So really, early education for me started probably where it starts for everybody else, right? Like we, a lot of us went to preschool. We all, well, I guess most of us went to kindergarten. I suppose some people might've skipped that stage, but um, you know, I, I had a great experience in a preschool that was very hands-on. Um, it was very ahead of its time, which was a great thing back then. And I had a great kindergarten experience. Um, as a lot of people know, kindergarten today is kind of like what our pre-K has become um, or I guess kindergarten when I was there is what pre-K has become now. Um, and grew up with a mom who worked in early childhood education. She uh, founded a program. She was a director for 30 years. Um, and before she founded that program, she worked as a teacher um, at a local preschool. And so I had a, a great experience as a kid with a, a mom who brought what she was doing in the classroom home with her and it was all about play and imagination and creativity. Um, and when I was young, I vowed I would never work with children as the older sister <laughs> to uh, a eight years younger, younger sister. And having experienced going to work with my mom and being around little kids, I was absolutely sure that was not for me. Fate had a different plan. Um, so after I had my son, I was asked to come in and start helping with a local preschool and then they couldn't get rid of me. So I was there for eight years and recently transitioned out of a center and into professional development for early educators, which is really where my heart is. I love continuous lifelong learning and getting to coach and speak with early educators who are in the classroom every day just fills my cup. Well, continuous lifelong learning is exactly why we're here. So <laughs> this is perfect. And you did end up going into the family business after all. I did. Yes. I think, you know, when you have your own kids, it really changes your perception of why early education is so important and getting to see that firsthand and up close with my son was, it was really a gift. Oh, and how old is your son now? He is seven. He will be eight here pretty soon. And I'm sure that must be wrong because there's no way we've come that far that fast. Right. I think my favorite quote is the days are long, but the years are short. It's so true. So true. Yes. So why should we know about early childhood education, especially if maybe some of us don't have our own kids? Or early education I mean, really, whether we have kids or not touches 
every part of most people's lives and society, whether it was your own experience in early childhood when you were young, those preschool and kindergarten years tend to be the first ones that we remember and associate with our lifelong learning careers. Um, Or you do have kids and you know that childcare is really nuanced from a business and like household business perspective. It is expensive and there's a lot of things to consider when you're choosing a childcare, an early learning center for your children. It's also really important because these are the years that so much brain development happens for everybody as tiny humans, 90% of our brains develop between the ages of zero and five. That is crazy to think about. Right? I know there um, is this quote that I love so much that is who you are at five is basically who you're going to be for the rest of your life. And I think a lot of us would go, no way, no way. (laughs) But how many of us, you know, when we we're five, we hear from our parents or from our close family or friends, you know, oh yeah, you know, when you were five, you were, I'm going to use myself as as an example, you talked all the time, which again was like the thing that I got on my report card every time too, was like, Samantha could just stop talking so much. I can't tell you how many times my seat had to be moved. (laughs) Right. Yes. And now I post podcasts. So talking a lot ended up serving (laughs) you well. Um, You know, but those traits that we have at five, obviously we mature and we grow and we develop more throughout our lives. But those really core parts of who we are, those relationships we form in those years go on to teach us how to form relationships when we're 10 and 20 and 30. And those parts of us like confidence, that's when the basis for all of that is built, just like the basics for all of our academic endeavors are all built in those five years. Wow. That is, that's staggering to think about. The last, what, 30 something years of my life just don't matter for anything in development. It's, (laughs) It's zero to five. That was it. Everything else is just, it's by chance, right? It's, uh, it's interesting to think about, yeah, that, you know, from zero to five, our brains are changing and firing off so much. And the brain science behind it is not my expertise, but it, I do find it fascinating. Um, and then after that, everything that happens, that last 10% of brain development, and a lot of times we hear, like, I think it's 25 is when, like, your brain is fully developed. Yes. I'm not sure that's ever really true. I think we're always <laughs> evolving, but, you know. Um that is more maturing than it is like brain development in the same way where we've already built a lot of those synapses. We've really built our understanding of the world really comes from those first five years. And that's where, that's what we mean when we're talking about like the brain development, right? Finding your place in the world that you've you've learned about, you've created, that comes later. You've got to figure out where you belong in it. But when you're talking about I know that's a dog and I know that's a bird. (laughs) Those are like huge, huge pieces of the world that, you know, all happen really early on that you couldn't build anything off of if you didn't know the difference between, you know, uh, the sky and the ocean. So fair enough, fair enough. And I feel like we learn that's, that's all sort of in the experience of being a child. Right. And I think when we, when we spoke before and we prepared for this, you talked about, the most sort of surprising aspect in education being play, Mm -hmm. right? 
Yes. So I could talk about play forever. Um, I love the idea of play. And one of the things that I love about it is how different everybody's definition is of play. Oh, that's good. I didn't think about it that way, but people would have a different definition of what playtime is, right? Yes. So in ECE, something that you'll see a lot as a teacher is if you work in a play-based program, which many programs are, especially now because research is really leading us in that direction, showing that play is really important for that brain development. One of the things you'll see a lot of is parents will start to get really nervous when they ask their kids, you know, oh, what did you do today? And the kids come home and they're like, I played. Parents (laughs) are like... But what else? (laughs) Right. What else did you do? Did you learn letters? Did you learn numbers? You know, are they learning anything? And my favorite thing about play is that that is how kids learn. That in early childcare programs, they are learning letters and they're learning numbers and all of these academic, you know, things that we want them to learn, that cognitive side of brain development. They're getting all of that, but they're getting it through play. Play is how young children learn about the world around them where we see, oh, they're just playing with blocks as adults, they are learning seven different things because they're putting those blocks together. They're learning math and basic geometry skills by learning how to stack things together and what those shapes are. They're learning physics, which, you know, okay, we're four. Physics is, you know, (laughs) something we probably think like is way beyond them, but Physics is just what happens when I push this over. Exactly. And they learn if I stack it too high, it's going to fall. Exactly. And then they start creating a story around the blocks, right? So now we're delving into early literacy and storytelling. And now other kids want to come and they want to play with them. So now it becomes social emotional learning where we're learning how to participate in society and create rules and create games. So one little bit of play is really worth so much when we're talking about cognitive development and how they're learning through these play things. So like I said, I could talk about it forever, but I love, I love play. And one thing that I will say that will probably surprise people is um, there's a fabulous book. It's called The Play's the Thing. Even if you're a parent, I recommend it. It costs like $5 on Amazon. It's one of those books that's like really cheap. It was actually a book that I had to read for my my master's program. Uh, and it was one of those that like, you know, you get all your textbooks and you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to like read whatever I have to read. I devoured that book in like 48 hours because it talks about the adult's role in play and how we have different rules that we can take without disturbing a child's play. And having my own kids, it's really interesting now as a parent to follow those rules with my own kids and see what happens. Um, my, my favorite thing that she talks about is in the book, they talk about how true play has no rules. True play has no prompts. True play is fully decided by the children. So unless you're taking part in it, you can't place rules on it. The kids get to do that. And that's part of their learning. And as teachers and adults, it talks about how we can set up an environment. And that can be like our part in the play where we set the environment and let them do whatever they're going to do with it. We can 
propose an idea for play and then let them do whatever they're going to do with it. And it's one of the most fun things to put an idea in a child's head and then watch them create this incredible world (laughs) out of this tiny thing that you proposed. Um, And so that was something I loved from the aspect of play in a classroom, but also something that I think is really applicable to parents. That is incredible. And imagine the confidence the kid builds too in knowing that they can just be with adults in that way and relate Mm -hmm. with them and not, it's not a constant discipline or a constant, you know, rule structured environment where they feel like it's a hierarchy almost. For sure. It's really been interesting to have like the teacher knowledge and then to have the reality of having toddlers in my own house. (laughs) There's, and I love play, but I am not always up to play. Like I'm not always ready for that. I also have a full-time job. I am also tired at the end of the day. I also need like decompression time and that's okay. Ooh, and I think- you're going to worry me sounding like complete super mom for a minute and that this is like no. daily every minute. <laughs> <laughs> no. So I think one of the things that's really important in being a mom, being a parent is to one, know that it's okay to not necessarily have to be a part of the play all the time. And one of the things I love about that book is it gives us ways to engage with our kids or with our students while we are not the ones necessarily participating in the play. So with my kids now, my daughter might want to have a tea party and it's six o'clock. I have 10 minutes to sit down before I have to get up, make dinner and then do bedtime and then brush teeth and baths and all of the nine things, right? And so I might say, oh, well, your brother, he was talking about running a pancake shop. Maybe you guys could start a business together. And then I've given them an idea, but I just have to watch them do whatever they're going to do with it. And nine times out of 10, it becomes something that has absolutely nothing to do with what I recommended or the prompt that I gave it had everything to do with they came up with a completely new idea. I just suggested they play together. And having a four and a seven-year-old, does that always work? No. But when it does, it's a beautiful thing. And then I get my 10 minutes. <laughs> I think we are all going to need need to read that book. I will definitely. It really is a great book. Fantastic. So that is one strong misconception. I think people have with, you know, education and and child learning. Do you have any others that you think people might want to debunk in this? I think, well, yes. I think there's lots around (laughs) early education. I think it's one of those things that kind of feels like this shrouded mystery um, when you're not a part of it, Um, especially like the business side of things, right? Right now, especially we're having this huge, I mean, truly national crisis of early childhood where it's so expensive, parents can't pay for it, especially if you have more than, heaven forbid you have more than one kid and you're trying to- It's easily a mortgage payment. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's pressure from the parent side. There's pressure from the school side because while we're dealing as parents with the, holy cow, how am I going to pay for this? They're dealing- really with the same thing, because if they own the building, then they have mortgage payments and they're struggling to find 
qualified staff to make sure that the kids that they have in their programs are safe or staff that will stay. Um, And so it's, I feel like it's this cyclical thing right now that there's not really a great solution to, which kind of feels like a womp womp in this conversation. (laughs) But I think that there is hope in that. If parents and early educators can come together and really start advocating together for both of their needs. Because early educators, they don't want to drain the pockets of the parents. Nine times out of 10, I won't say there's never an exception to that rule, but nine times out of 10, that's not what they're after. They just want to make sure that they're running really quality programs. And from the parent's side, you want your child in a great program that's safe where you know their teachers aren't there just because it's a paycheck. They're there because they really care and they want to love on these little kiddos and help that brain development happen. And, um, you know, both of those things take funding. Both of those things take time and it's tough. We're both in a tough spot right now. And so advocacy is something that I think is really, really important and working together you know, early educators are not just there for the kids. Of course, we are there for the children, but we're also there for the families and the community. And so many of these schools are hosting, you know, community events where they want to talk to parents and they want to welcome them in and really show them what they have to offer, whether that's before and after school care, whether that's care for preschoolers during the day or infants and toddlers. But that advocacy piece, we're only ever going to get so far if we're asking for things just as parents and just as educators. So if we can come together and really start advocating for like, hey, these programs need funding, better funding. This is, hopefully this doesn't get me in trouble, but for anybody (laughs) who in Florida has their child in a VPK program, you know, in Florida, we have a fantastic thing. We're one of the few states that has a universal pre-K program. Any child who is four and even some who are five qualify for that universal pre-K, we don't have to pay a dime. But the schools are only getting reimbursed like four to five dollars an hour. When you think about how normal tuition rates for a preschool are nine to fifteen dollars an hour, that's a huge loss for these schools who are offering VPK programs. They want to offer them because they know it's a great thing, but they're losing money by offering VPK because they're not getting the funding they need from state and federal funding. I'd never realized that. It's almost like wholesale teaching. Yeah. So it makes it really tough when, you know, you're used to being able to purchase, let's say books for your library, or you're used to paying your teachers a specific salary. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of nuance that goes on on the state side of things where they're, and a lot of them, are doing their best because there's tough parts of, and I work with a lot of like the ELCs in Florida and the nonprofits who are by the state, they're doing their best. And a lot of them don't have control over a lot of that either. So, you know, really going to the organizations who are doing a great job of advocacy, Um, you know, NACI, the National Association for the Education of Young Children is like the best resource as a teacher or a parent you can have love them. Everything they do is peer reviewed. Um, but it's also all done by early educators. So it's like a by for 
thing happening. And every state has their own NACI chapter. So in Florida, we have FLACI. And at FLACI, they have a specific advocacy group called One Voice that is open to anybody. And anybody can go and sit in on the meetings. They're all virtual. So it's accessible. Um, And once a year, they actually go to Tallahassee to advocate in person for what they feel like are the big things that need to happen in early childhood education. So if advocacy is something that you're interested in, there are a lot of different avenues to get there. Um, But talk to this, you know, if you have kids, talk to the school that your kids are at. Look at Flacey, see what they have to offer. Um, You know, everybody says like write letters and call your representatives, (laughs) but truly like for this stuff that really, you know, it, it makes a difference, especially since early education is one of those few things that affects everybody. It doesn't matter, you know, what party lines you're on or cross or anything that has to do with that. Everybody, someone in their life is or has been a part of early education. So it really touches all of us. That's an excellent point. You are very passionate about this, obviously. Was there something, um, was there a specific moment? Was there a turning point in the, uh, that shaped your career from when you started? Yeah, you know, well, I will say there were probably more than one. Um, it's been... Every time I meet someone new, I really want to absorb their perspective. So, you know, being a teacher, I was surrounded by other teachers who had these perspectives of some of them had been in the industry for years and years, and some of them were newer, but where they came from really gave them skills that worked well with young children in the classroom. And as I became an administrator, you know, then I had licensing bodies who gave me a whole new perspective on what running a school was like and bookkeepers who were like, here's a budget. (laughs) And, you know, it totally changes how you see not only the job you're doing, but the job other people are doing. When I moved into professional development, it was really the first time that I had the opportunity to see what was happening on what I'm going to call the other side, meaning like with those state nonprofits who handle funding and are working on putting out, you know, great programs for early educators, either at no cost or at little cost. Um, And in Florida, they run like our VPK program. And it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, if we all just talked to each other more, there would be a lot less frustration. (laughs) Because, right? Like, because someone's frustrated someone else for something that they have no control over that came down from 10 miles above whatever job they're doing. And we're all just people trying to do our best. And just like any other like bureaucratic paperwork filled, you know, jobs that are out there, a lot of it is like, oh, if we just slowed down and tried to see the perspective of where other people were coming from, it would really probably make a lot of this a lot easier. The other one is probably, you know, having my own kids, the perspective it brings to really be able to watch a tiny human develop in your own house. Um, And when my son was born, 
was right around the time that I started working in early childhood education. And so I was learning while he was learning. And so everything was like this, oh my gosh, I know what's happening um, <laughs> moment for me. And it, it was so exciting uh, in, a, in, a, in a way that was motherly, but also like scholarly. And so um, it just really forged my excitement and passion for this field and what I do. And then when my daughter came along, she was born right before COVID happened and everything shut down. And so when she was two months, three months old, we all got to stay home and I got to like try all this stuff that I had learned on, <laughs> on my daughter, which sounds like I made her a science experiment, but really it was just, you know, okay, let's, let's pay more attention this time around to when she starts rolling over and when she starts walking, you know, all these developmental milestones that um, I had learned about. Now I got to watch happen in real time and everyone was probably sick of seeing all of my Instagram posts all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, all of that is very wise. And very true. I love the part about if we all could just take a minute to see where the other is coming from and talk Mm -hmm. together and not just go at each other and make assumptions. I think that's crucial in any part of today's world, but especially education. Yeah. So what would you like to leave our listeners with today? Oh, um, okay. If I could leave everybody with, with a few thoughts, I would say one, um, play is how kids learn. Let them play. Please let them play. Um, don't, don't push the academics too hard. Even, even when they go into elementary school, you know, obviously like it changes a little bit and it's important for them to stay, you know, engaged in what they're doing in school. But there's a part of me also that's like, so we are, like research is like play, play, play until you're five. And then all of a sudden we shove you in a desk and have school life. You know, I'm like, no, they still need to play. It still needs to be fun. And, you know, having a child that's in elementary school now, I have to say we've had the best experience. His teachers have been incredible and I'm so thankful for them and how fun they make school. Cause you know, even six and seven year olds really, they still need play they still need to feel like life is fun they're kids life should be fun (laughs) um (laughs) and then I will also just say you know if you feel strongly about anything that's happening in the world of early childhood education talk to the school your kids go to if your kids are out of early childhood education but you still feel like you want to have a voice partner with some of these organizations who are doing really fantastic things in advocacy for early ed both on the parent side and on the school side, if if they're really two sides, because really it's all the same stuff. So, you know, there are organizations out there advocating for more funding so schools can find better staff, staff that wants to stay so they can pay their staff a living wage, because that's a huge problem right now in early ed is, you know, we can't afford to pay people enough to get them to stay. So, and we want them to, um, and then, you know, funding so that that can go back to the parents and so that parents can afford to send their kids to school. And that can be seen in programs like VPK and a lot of other States are bringing programs like that to the floor in 2024, which is a fantastic thing. States like Ohio, States like Michigan, 
they have all have that um, on the docket for this legislative season, which is really exciting to see that more states want to participate. Um, so yeah, those are my, that's what I would leave everybody with. <laughs> well, Samantha, I have thoroughly enjoyed talking with you and hearing about all of this. You are incredible. And the way you speak, the way you talk about it, you can tell your passion behind it. And your kids are very, very lucky. The ones that you interact with on a daily basis and your own. Very lucky kids. Thank you. How can our listeners hear more about you if they would like to follow you or just hear more? Yeah. So you can find me in a few different places. Um, I mean, I suppose you can follow me on Instagram, but there's not a lot of stuff about this on my Instagram. (laughs) It is open though, um, which is just Samantha Boyle. Um, You can also find uh, the podcast that I produce and co-host. It's called Out of Ratio. Um, It is like coffee chats with professionals in early childhood education. And if you are a early education professional or a teacher, you can actually get continuing education credits from listening to our episodes, which is very exciting because we were the very first podcast to do that. Um, So it's very near and dear to my heart. And um, you can find us anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Um, Again, it's out of ratio. And uh, if you want to chat more, you can find me over at Bertelson Education. Uh, That's where my full-time job is. I'm an engagement specialist over there, and um, we're working really hard to make the world of professional education and ECE exciting, engaging, fun. Um, But we also have stuff for parents. If you're a parent and you're looking for resources um, on everything from potty training to how to choose a program, we have uh, parenting courses and parenting packages led by all of our trainers, and they're awesome. And you can find them there. If uh, if you're into speaking gigs, I do speak at some of the local conferences around um, Florida. I'll be in Tallahassee in April. And I'll be in, well, that's not really local. But if you're in Michigan, I'll be in Michigan in May. Um, so occasionally you can find me at different conferences around. I love a conference. Uh, it's one of those things that makes me just really excited to go to. So I tend to hang out at those. But um, if you want to chat more, my email is sam, S-A-M, at bertelsoneducation.com. All E's in Bertelson. <laughs> and uh, feel free to reach out in time. Thank you so much. And I will have all of the links, the book you talked about, your contact information, if that's okay. I will have all of that in the notes of the podcast so people can look you up and, and definitely learn more from you because you are as such an amazing resource and a person. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. This is a blast. Thank you for joining us for episode two of 5,000 Hours. We really enjoyed diving into early childhood education today, and I hope you loved learning about that with us. Also, I want to give a quick thank you to the students at St. Pete Collegiate STEM High School. You guys are amazing for all you are doing supporting this podcast. See you in two weeks.